Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? We just watched the show Vegas, specifically the episode Macho Murders. That episode aired in on November 28th, 1979. This was the eighth episode of the second season. Vegas. It was Macho Murders. Macho Murders. This is a show. <laughs> I never even heard about this show before. You never even heard of Robert Urich. No. Because I'm 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 a millennial, Kevin. 
millennials are notoriously ill-informed, boorish louts who are unaware of the history of anything, let alone popular entertainment. Well, I don't know about that. Gen X was apparently the ones raised on shows like Vegas, so <laughs> I'll, we'll let you be the judge audience members. Uh, All five of you. <laughs> Robert Urich uh, was a very talented performer who, for some reason, didn't have the best of luck in television. I remember he had a reputation for being the star of a large number of failed TV shows. That's too bad. I liked him in this. I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't. I wasn't sitting there being like, ah, oh, this is going to fail and it's his fault. So that's For things. instance, he appeared as the captain in Love Boat, The Next Wave. Ooh, no. That was a one season wonder, it looks like here. Ugh. He he, uh, he appeared as the star of uh, Spencer for Hire, which was a well-received show that uh, didn't really last that long. Uh, it looks like... He was on uh, some show called It Had to Be You, Crossroads. Yeah, a whole lot of shows here. Well, that's that's really sad. Uh, I, yeah, that, that sucks. Poor guy. But, I mean, it sounds like he at least got, he got steady work from doing some of. Gavilan. Yeah, yeah geez. Vegas, of course. Vegas at least got a second season, right? He was on Soap. He was on the show SWAT. I could go on and on. I don't, I'm not sure you want me to. You didn't even... I mentioned Soap in passing. Don't know what that is. You don't even know what Soap is. I know the substance you wash your body with, but other than that, no. Soap was a nighttime parody of uh, soap operas. I, I've watched a soap opera or two in my day. Used so, to watch General Hospital with my mom all the time. So there were two sisters. There were two sisters. One uh, was married to a rich fella and one married a working class fella. So there was lots of sex and intrigue and aliens. And Billy Crystal appeared on the show as, I believe, one of the first gay characters on network television. All this was very controversial. So you were a big soap head, apparently. I was a very young man. Uh, I was very taken with the the actress who played. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this ought to be good. Who played the rich sister. She was a redheaded lady. Yeah. Of course, you, like you, you're, all, you're always talking about Benson. Benson uh, spun off of soap. Benson. That's another show. Yeah, Benson Dubois. So not, not. He was the not butler. Not Olivia Benson. He was the butler on soap. And then he goes to become the butler for the governor. And he did such a great job, he becomes the budget director for the governor. And he did such a great job, he then becomes lieutenant governor. I'm holding my head in my hands. And it's very, very, don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when the last episode of a show ever ends on a cliffhanger that's never resolved? And the cliffhanger is Benson is running for governor against the sitting governor. Who's going to win? We never know. Kevin, I have a few questions. So if this if this Uric guy was in so many failed shows, how did soap seem to have last long enough to at least elicit a spin-off? So I obviously didn't close after one episode. 
No, and Vegas didn't close after one episode. But it just they didn't. They, he didn't have a long. They weren't keepers. Hit. They weren't. They weren't long lasting hits. Okay, I understand. Sounds like Benson lasted longer than so. <laughs> They're getting into his climb to the top of the power. That's a pretty impressive rise, going from a butler to lieutenant governor. <laughs> yeah, you you if you'd write a book about that, you're a journalist. Wouldn't yeah. you want to cover? Wouldn't you say, "I want that story"? Would you put on a fancy hat yeah. and go parading Could into I the governor's a, mansion? a press pass in the hat? You're very, yeah. Yeah. Do it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Packing my bags. I'm leaving you to go cover this fictional <laughs> lieutenant governor <laughs> who used to be a butler and now wants to be the real governor. And would he, would he have a stupid campaign slogan like, I'm here to serve you. And like, it'd be like a picture of him holding like a tray. Like I'm going to clean up the government. Yeah. Yeah. Like he do can do some really fun ads. Like he could come in, like he, he walks in in his Butler uniform and all these guys like, like, you know, I'm thinking of Albany cause I grew up in New York. Like Albany, like power players have made a mess. And like all these guys would be like eating and being all gross. And he kind of sweeps them all out and they all go flying out the door and then, you know, vote for Benson. Like he'll clean up the mess. It sounds like you'd like to vote for a butler as the next governor. I don't want to cover this. I want to be his campaign manager. Yes. <laughs> I want to at least be in charge of the political ads. I love I love stupid political ads. I think we need to reach out <laughs> to butler organizations. Yeah. Do, do are there were there ever any like memorable ads in Indiana cuz I can think of one that was uh, that's burned into my brain. That was playing constantly in New York, in the New York City metro area at one point. And it was for a New Jersey race. And so it was like, we can't vote in this. What are you doing? But, you're wasting everybody's yeah, time. Yeah, you're wasting everybody's time and energy. But it was very funny. And I just remember the tagline was this guy saying, Chris Christie, unbelievable. <laughs> that became a favored uh, slogan in the Kane household. <laughs> so the ad had a point. It had a point. But it was it was like we can't do anything about this man. We don't live there. And I guess the, you would argue you can't do anything about Benson because it's no, it's he's fictional. not real. He's it's not a real person. And the show's been over since the mid eighties. Yeah, I can't even talk to anyone about this. So thanks a lot for fucking. This is what, it, what <laughs> when you're a millennial and you marry a Gen Xer, suddenly they're telling you all this shit that's sparking your imagination, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't relate to people. You can't take this to people your own age and say, "Have you heard about this?" Because they're going to be like, "What the." Fuck are you talking See, about? See, one of his rivals was like the lady that ran the kitchen. Oh, Jesus. Mrs. Krause. Jesus. Oh, she didn't like Benson. Was she, 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 did she become like a political operative who ran against him then? No, they became friends. Aww. And then also there was a very stodgy guy named Clayton. Yeah, uh, he, he was played by the uh, shape-shifting alien from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I hope it's the same character secretly. Yeah, wouldn't you love to posit a huge multiverse with Benson at the Nexus. Jerry Seinfeld was on Benson. Wow. Apparently it was a pretty important program to you. A lot of people love this show. Uh, I believe, uh, was it Tracy Gold? I think Tracy Gold was on Benson and Missy Gold was on uh, Growing Pains. You're just saying words now and I, <laughs> I don't I don't know, folks. Sometimes he does this and it's always disconcerting for everybody. <laughs> All you all you'd want to talk about is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I never watched that's your that. era. I watched the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Thank you to uh, bring to bring it back to 
Kevin Greenlee. Unbelievable. <laughs> you compare me to Chris Christie? <laughs> and I don't watch it anymore. I, I get, I get, I get, I, I have anxiety and I don't like watching people get into like fake fights on reality TV. That makes me feel viscerally uncomfortable. You know, like I, it, I, I just can't do that. So would like that ending of Benson, would that give you anxiety? Because it's That's... like two friends running for the same uh, political office. What was like the, the fucking season opener going to be them getting into like an Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr style duel? I mean, like what was one of them being killed? That's how you would resolve the last episode of Benson. <laughs> Jesus. Benson I'm... lowers the gun and then shoots in the air. No, I, I... I'm glad you weren't around to have yeah, an impact on this program. I know, that would have brought it all down. <laughs> You're from the great Robert Guillaume and you're a murderer. Would, like, so he's he's the butler. Oh, what, what are we doing? We're supposed to be talking about Vegas. You wanted to talk about oh, Robert Guillaume? <laughs> he's the butler. For some reason, he's promoted to the state budget director. Can you imagine how this is what happens when local press dies out? <laughs> Wait, are you saying a person who it works in in the service industry as a butler is not qualified to rise up if they can do the job? Shouldn't they be allowed to do the job? What, why, saying... why have all this bullshit credentialist nonsense blocking people? He probably understands people's concerns more than your average Harvard or Yale educated asshole who they're pumping out his dad had worked the campaign and then they're come on give give Benson a chance. Okay, it sounds like you think Benson is chillingly accurate. I, all I was trying to say was, sure, you don't need these fancy degrees or book learning, but maybe there should be an intermediate step between being a butler and running the budget for the entire state. That's all I'm saying. What state was it supposed to be? I believe it was never specified. Oh, they didn't want anyone to know. They didn't want anyone to know. But keep in mind, I haven't watched an episode of this program. Yeah, but apparently it lodged itself in your brain to a startling degree. Oh, Clayton and Krause and Benson would go oh, at it. Jesus Christ. A young Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, God. Okay, let's get out of here. Let's go back to Vegas, okay? Okay, how do we, oh yeah, we were talking about soap. Wasn't wasn't Robert Urich killed on soap? I don't know. I never watched soap. So somehow you had never heard of any detail of the storied career of Mr. Robert Urich. Yep. I managed I managed to avoid it. I managed to focus on some important things first. I mean, did we watch he, he was on SWAT. Did we watch SWAT? I mean did not watch SWAT. Okay. So this my generation was exposed to Robert Urich. That repeatedly over and over he was kind of like uh a slightly more elevated version of like a ted mcginley for us yeah <laughs> jesus christ ted mcginley of course the notorious show killer uh so what was your first exposure like to robert urich what did you think of mr urich he seemed kind of like a you know charming everyman you know he's kind of he's kind of like a you know, he's a good-looking guy, but he's not, like, intimidatingly good-looking. And he just kind of comes off like a working Joe, and he's just kind of doing his job as a, a working PI. Joe. Yeah, he's a PI in Vegas. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's trying. He dresses in a lot of fun 70s fashions. And he's, you know, he can he can hold his own. He's competent. Uh, he's tough. And he, you know, I, I, I buy it. So I 
I had no issues. He's with that. putting it out there. You're picking it up and clasping it to your bosom. Is now, that, what that you're saying? sounds a little bit weirdly sexual for my <laughs> husband to be saying, but uh, I think yeah, I liked him. I, I, I didn't see anything in this where I was like, oh man, he's gonna kill this show. He's gonna fucking ruin it. He seemed fine. So are you like so taken and enamored by Mr. Yurik that maybe now? You're thinking, well, maybe I should give uh, Love Boat uh, the next wave a chance. Uh, I don't. I think that sh- that that ship has sailed. <laughs> Just for that whole premise, there, right there. I, I think you know. I, I'm. I, it takes a lot for me to really be like invested in an actor's career. I know you're built different. You you will you will get enmeshed in in something weird to a weird degree but i am because like I, i'm able to form emotional connections with, with people other you people don't know that's called parasocial relationships. as opposed to you being very cold and lonely i don't and buy into isolated. the whole celeb culture and i'm this I'm whole idea a, this whole I'm idea this whole like premise not the fucking this actor. whole idea of caring for other <laughs> humans it's very foreign Watching to you. Watching an actor's show, if you think that's your version of caring for other humans, then I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Good lord. So there's, there's nobody you care enough in this world to watch a second thing they're in. Yurik's not gonna fucking smile back at you or give you a nod for what you're doing for him, Kevin. Just so you know. And second of all... Oh, he's also long dead. But second of all... I, 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 it's not that I don't like any actors. It's just it takes a lot for me to become invested enough in somebody's career that I'm like, oh, I'd like to see them again. I'll just, I'm watching stuff for the premise, for the whatever the content is. It's not, I like, again, I might say, oh, I generally like this person. They're talented. But I'm not necessarily going to be, like, seeking out, like, reading the trades and figuring out what they're going to be in next. So I guess it took a lot for you to want to seek me out <laughs> and see what I'd be in next. You're not an actor. <laughs> What's an example of an actor who you would say, oh, this person has a new project coming out. I want to be sure I, to see I it. couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. Tr- uh, truly. Ted Bessel. If you're talking about like a director, sure. Bud Abbott. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Let's go back to Vegas. No, you, you love William Powell. Yes, but he doesn't. He's dead. <laughs> but, I mean, you'd watch it. Uh, yeah, I would watch stuff. I would watch stuff just for William Powell or Myrna Loy. Loy. That's that's completely true. That's a good example of, like, even if I'm not like, oh, my God. I mean, I love the thin man, but I'm also like, if they were just in a romantic comedy and it wasn't a mystery. Yeah, fuck, sure. Why you not? dig it. I dig it. I'll watch it. They're great. Let's see what they do. That's fine. That's That's fair. Well, you like Robert Jurgen. That's what you watch him in another private eye show. I say Spencer f- for Hire. I'd be fine with watching Spencer for Hire. What about watching Robert Jurgen in another crime show? Where he plays a cop in SWAT. Sure, I'll watch. I'll watch Yurik play a cop in SWAT. <laughs> uh, would you watch him play a captain on the the love? Is boat? this like a riddle? <laughs> the love boat thing. I'm not so sure about. Why is that? Why is that uh, something hard for you to commit to? Why are why, you afraid of love? Why? <laughs> Asked my husband, why would I, why do we need a reboot on Love Boat? Because it's not like it's a premise that can only be done by certain actors. The whole, the whole thing is an anthology. It's a look at this modern mating dance called love. (laughs) So it can be endlessly rebooted. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to see like 
the love space capsule. Kevin is slowly sliding out a uh, manila folder <laughs> labeled <laughs> Love Boat in Space script. <laughs> and I'm getting concerned. Love Boat works anywhere. It's an elastic concept. Does it? <laughs> Does it? But why don't we talk about Vegas? Why don't we talk about Vegas? Um, the macho murders. This is all about basically, you know, the feminazis are at it. A, a, a feminist, an outspoken feminist, is accused of murdering a bunch of different men who are all connected to uh, uh, sex work. Uh, yeah, sex work. Uh, or or dancing, I guess. And the, basically, they're all considered chauvinists. It's like a pimp, a pornographer, a really harsh choreographer who yells at women about their bodies. And somebody's killing all of them. The pimp... That's the guy that dies yeah, first. Yeah, he's the first. He doesn't even seem all that upset about dying. Yeah, it's almost... I've been more upset about cold coffee than this guy is about dying. Someone points a gun at him and says, hey, are you kidding me? And then he dies. I feel like people react more when you accidentally open a door in, like, you know, like, the public toilet and, and you know, like, like there's oh, more... Oh, there a story there? Well, you, there's, I know there's a story <laughs> for you there recently, but, you know, it, I've, that, I've never seen such a chill reaction to anything. I, I, I feel like I've had more intense reactions to literally this evening I heard the dishwasher come on and thought that someone would had broken into murderous. So, like, that's... that's you started pretty, shooting the place up. Yeah, just, just open fire. There's bullet holes all over the walls. And, yeah, he's, like, sleazy. He's got this beard. He's just... He's a, he's a mess. He's at a pool party. So he's the first to go. And uh, then... And the, so he dies. Yeah. And there was a pretty strong case against, against the feminist. Uh, he's killed with her gun. Her fingerprints are on it. There are shoe prints outside his home, which match shoes found in her closet. And she says, well, I admit all that, but it's a frame. Somebody's trying to make it look like I'm the guilty person when I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so this woman's attorney played by a uh, veteran actress, Shelly Winters hires Dan Hanna on the case. Yes. And she uses her wiles as attorney played by veteran actress, Oscar winning actress, <laughs> Shelly Winters uses her wiles to get the woman released from prison. At which point another chauvinist is killed and strong circumstantial evidence points to the feminist at which point Shelley Winters playing uh, a criminal attorney gets her client released again and then someone else dies and then she hides her client it's a bit, it's a bit repetitive this episode is brought to you by Philo do you love TV do you love saving money then Philo is your solution Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's p-h-i-l-o dot tv 
slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Before we talk about the census-shattering conclusion, though, I would like to note strongly here that for the for the really a lot of the first part of this and even, you know, kind of well into the, well, and pretty much most of this, I actually really enjoyed. I liked the pacing. I liked the characterization. I felt we were getting a somehow somewhat textured and detailed look at Vegas in the 70s, which was really fun. I love the opening credits. The opening credits, you and I agreed, we could watch an hour of the opening credits because it's all these weird snippets of like showgirls dancing, people jumping in pools. Uh, you know, it's like living with you. Yeah, it's it, it's basically it's basically the Anya Kane story, and like I just feel that was an incredible opening. It just so seventies, so fun, so Vegas, and like I just like you know we're not we've both been to Vegas. We we don't. I'm, you're more familiar with it than I am, I think. <laughs> Figures, but uh, <laughs> well, what are you what are you trying to suggest there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, well, honestly, you went there to cover a grocery store conference. That is true. Which I would have loved to have done. Yeah, that's like your dream. A grocery store conference in Vegas is like your ideal Vegas experience. The time you did this, I barely knew you. And I told you I was really jealous of you. I thought, I think you thought I was kidding. Yeah. That I was patronizing. I you. thought I was, uh, I was, you know, who's, who's that into grocery stores? Actually you are, you, you are truly a student of the grocery store. So I would have loved that. I went to Vegas like much earlier than that for a totally different, less fun reason. And you also love the like Vegas of the Rat Pack era. You know, in terms of your historical interests. Yes. But this just seemed fun. I mean, like, again, like, so I'm saying we don't really have like an authentic view of Vegas or anything, but I just, I, I liked it. And it just, it just felt like we weren't totally skimming the surface because like the mystery did have something to do with Vegas's reputation as being super seedy and having a lot of like sex trafficking and sexploitation basically. So I, I appreciated that. And it was kind of, fun to see a very 70s take on like you know these feminists they're they're yelling at men and i don't know if we like that but uh you know i guess i made some good points i mean (laughs) very wishy-washy but kind of funny um i think where this one fell apart for me a little bit more was like the scenes of the disco the ending the scenes of the disco kevin were fucking incredible you have at one point he's at the disco and he's gonna meet this lone shark and then there's this like couple dancing and they're all in the sequins and they're doing the stupidest cheesiest dance you've ever seen and the lone shark's like okay kids i like the act i'll call you and it's like ah. it's 
So what kind you of- said at that point that that's how people see us. <laughs> I don't know what you meant by that, but it was upsetting. <laughs> I want, what kind of business is this? Did, did people in the 70s go to a discotheque and sit at tables watching people dance competently with one another wearing unflattering Competent is a generous term <laughs> i i can imagine going and watching like sexy ladies dancing wow is that what you did in vegas last time and i can imagine going and watching uh an attractive young man dancing but just watching a couple dancing in an unerotic untalented way is that could you make a living at that in vegas could you open up? Hey, people, come here and watch strangers dance competently. <laughs> if I say no yes, cover charge, if I say yes, I'm worried that you're gonna like start packing our suitcases. <laughs> Would that be your dream? You could leave this life behind. Get out of the podcast minds. <laughs> yeah, and just just dance in Vegas. Dance somewhat competently. In uh, clothes that reveal not an inch of skin. These pe people, they weren't wearing sexy outfits. No, they were not wearing sexy outfits. But I don't think that was the lack of skin. I think that was the, the sequins and the stupid hats. <laughs> the lawyer in this, played by veteran actress Shelley Winters, she wore some fine hats. But you pointed out that you felt that this veteran actress, Oscar-winning actress, turned in a, a dog of a performance. <laughs> I wasn't really impressed. With, if you think of Oscar winner... Shelly Winters, uh, you, you, you expect her to do a better job. She's just competent. She kept pronouncing innocent weirdly, like innocent. Don't know what that was about, but it took me out of it. And it took me out of it because I'm watching this, this story, and you're always aware that in a mystery story, surely they're not going to do something so dumb and obvious as, hey, everybody, there's a bunch of evidence against this person. The conclusion is this person is actually guilty. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be dumb enough to do that. That's not interesting storytelling. So I took that as a given. Yeah, you gave this show a lot of credit. Because, uh, yeah, I just took that as a given. And sort of a way to spoil these things is... There was an unwritten law that on a mystery show from the 70s. <laughs> on a mystery show from the 70s, the guilty party is always the most famous guest star. Isn't that just not from the 70s? It's from anything. I mean, we watched an episode of Boomtown. Right. Uh, LeVar Burton. Exactly. Shelley Winters. LeVar Burton is a distinguished performer. He's no Shelley Winters. <laughs> So I thought... How dare you? <laughs> so I thought it had to be Shelley Winters. Um, and that would have made more sense from a storytelling perspective here. But unfortunately, this show did opt for the stupid route. Because... And that's what's the problem. It's like the the everything was great except for the ultimate conclusion of the story. I mean, great. It was competent. I enjoyed it, though. Yes, the ultimate conclusion of the episode was, hey, but you know this person that had all of this really convincing circumstantial evidence against them? The Dan Tana has been hired for their defense? Well, that person's actually guilty, and Dan Tana has helped prove that. But not guilty in a way that's really interesting or like, oh, wow, it really twists us around. 
or like, oh, we, you know, we figured it out or, or like, like it, it just kind of leaves you feeling unsatisfied. And, um, it also kind of makes you feel like every bit of work that Dan, Tana and, 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 and Shelly Winters put into this case, they were just allowing this woman to kill more people. So like, good job, everybody. And you got more people killed. And then the, uh, the other aspect about it that annoyed me is that like, okay, like, you know, defense attorneys uh, have a somewhat deserved rep for, you know, you gotta, you, even the guilty need a defense attorney, right? But like, when it's something like this, and it's like, they're, it raises all sort of ethical questions where like, this investigator was hired to defend this woman, but then he kind of blows up her case. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, like, they're not really supposed to do that. If you're a police officer... You're supposed to go wherever the case leads you. Yes. If you're working for the defense, you're supposed to find holes in the case or plausible other suspects. You're not supposed to prove that your client is guilty. And, like, I can appreciate, like, a well-told story where a defense PI flips because they're like, oh, this person needs to go down. And like it's a really big deal, so I'm gonna like, like but like I wanna, I wanna see that. Like I don't want them to just kind of do it casually. I'd like to see some professional consequences. Yes. I think if you prove that your client is guilty, <laughs> it's probably gonna be a little bit more difficult for you to be hired by defense attorneys in the future, and you should be aware of that before you prove your client and that's why and that's why like having in these settings like having like almost like a gentleman detective makes a little bit more sense when they're not really working for anyone or they're like i have my own rules here's my reputation and people are like well i'll roll the dice and hope that my client isn't really guilty and go for it but like in this case they just hire him as a pi he's just a pi you know doing a job for them and it it just it just seemed kind of crazy and I, that always takes me out of it. So, like, yeah, they, they really And I, I didn't even understand that uh, he's a working-class PI. He's driving he's a really great car. But he's a working-class PI. He has trouble paying his bills. He says to his secretary, oh, I can't make people realize how little work I have. That'll make me seem, you know, less good at my job because I'm less in demand. So he's like... You, this kind of creates the impression he's struggling a bit in his career. But then he goes into this distinguished lawyer's office, lawyer played by uh, distinguished uh, actress Shelley Winters, and she says, with no trace of irony, I hear you're the best detective in town. And he says, yes, that's right. And, and what? Yeah. So he has a reputation as being the best detective in town, but he can't make a living at it? Maybe they go into that in our earlier episodes where they say he's, he's great, but there's a shortage of work in Vegas. <laughs> That's, That's a notoriously crime-free yeah, town. nothing's happening here. <laughs> Not only is there no crime, there's like no adultery to investigate. No, no. No one's getting divorced in Vegas. There's no divorce ever related to Vegas in the 70s. So, yeah, it seems a bit, seems a bit, um... So, like, I, I enjoy some of the details. I, I think I would, I would be interested in giving this another chance, but I would, I would hope they'd kind of... And listen, part of me actually kind of loves the perverse of, like, like, you know, you hear about so many fucking biased true crime things that are just like all for guilt or all for the defense and they don't really take a neutral tone or a journalistic tone but like oftentimes you hear about like oh this person's so innocent and then like there's all these things that are like no they're obviously guilty 
But this one was kind of funny because it kind of took that and was like, no, they're definitely guilty. So, like, I don't know. In, in the hands of a more competent storyteller, this could have been a fun black comedy kind of take of, like, oh, wait, no, this person we've been busting our ass for is absolutely guilty and belongs in jail. But it also had bizarre elements that kind of were fun, but I don't know what the fuck. Like, at the end, the they realize that the the feminist is guilty, so she goes on the run, and then her car explodes out of nowhere. What was that all about? Yes, what was that and about? And tell us about the, the sad, childlike faith that you had in this episode up until the very end. That actually was was reasonable, in my view, based on what like storytelling conventions are. So he... So he... Dan Tana tells... So first of all, <laughs> l- l- let me stress, Shelley Winters knows that this feminist is wanted for murder and she's hiding her out. As an officer for the court, that's a no-no. Dan Tana goes to Shelly Winters and says, guess what? She's actually guilty. And Shelly Winters kind of shrugs her shoulders and says, okay, I guess you're right. (laughs) Oops. Here's the address she's at. Go pick her up. And then she calls Shelly Winters after Dan Tana leaves. She calls the feminist and says, Hey, you lied to me about a few things, didn't you? And the feminist said, Oh, yes, I did lie to you about a few things, didn't I? And then, then Chili Winters looks, you know, kind of angry, kind of hurt. You're not innocent. <laughs> and then the next thing we know, Dan Tana is pulling up in front of this house. The feminist says, Oh, there's Dan Tana. And then she hops into a car, drives off. The car explodes inexplicably. Dantana pulls her out of the burning debris. She's still alive. Cut to commercial. So when we come back, I'm thinking it's going to be revealed that Shelley Winters is guilty and she planted a bomb in the car. That would make sense. Because why would the feminist plant a bomb in her own car? She plants a bomb in the car it, Haddock is kind of uh, a last-ditch plan if things go wrong. And so she's then, after we cut to commercial, she probably told this lady, Dan Tan is coming. When he comes, you get in that car and drive away. That's what I thought. Yeah. What happens? What actually happens? What actually happens in the final moments of this episode? The P.I. and his two employees are sitting around in their office reading the newspaper being like, oh, when the publicity on this case comes out, we're not going to look so good because we helped convict our client. Oh, and uh, Shelly Winters, she's okay. She's getting charged with obstructing justice, but she's a good lawyer, so she'll probably argue her way out of it. And she's still representing her old client, who now she thinks is guilty, and sold out to Dan Tana. Bye, everybody. Thanks for coming. See you next week in Vegas. So none of this would have been allowed. <laughs> no. Oh, man. This was, I mean, I, I enjoyed this one. I'm not going to lie. I was entertained for the most part. The ending was stupid, but... Uh, I'd give it another shot. I was pretty skeptical about this coming into it. I was like, there's no way this is going to have any redeeming factors. And you're interested in watching more of it. I'd watch it. I mean, I don't know what that says about my taste or, you know, who I am as a person. Probably nothing good. But, uh, yeah. How about you? Yeah, I'd watch it again. What did you I, like I, 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 I love Vegas. I love the 1970s milieu. Yeah. So you, you generally had the same sort of like, you know, 
appreciation, maybe love is too strong a word, but appreciation for it that I did. Right. Are we ready for a five-star final? Well, it looks like Salon back in 2014 did a story on uh, how the Benson cliffhanger might have been resolved. Oh, Jesus. Back to this? Okay, but it's the five-star final. No. Are you going to spoil Benson for our audience? It's impossible to spoil Benson. That show has infinite riches. (laughs) Actually, a pretty bad show. (laughs) So my five-star final is what happens in Vegas gets pretty stupid, but actually is also entertaining. (laughs) Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for for listening. listening.